0: Everybody. Welcome to another episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. Missed ya. took uh, the holiday off, um, and so it's been a month since we've got an episode out. And I guess there was a little bit of anxiety around, hey, we got to get something done. We got to maybe send out something special. And we did kind of talk about it, figuring out what we could offer in the midst, but also we're going to die someday. So (laughs) no schedule is more important than sometimes just letting go. And so I guess there maybe is a gift in there for all of you. The reminder in there not being an episode that it's precious when there is. And also, boy, it's hard to do anything when you're repeatedly reminded that you're going to die someday, which is an acknowledgement then to you to be a listener that is willing to lean in to the confronting bits that a show titled You're Going to Die, the podcast might uh, confront you with. All I can say though, I guess personally is that yeah, that's kind of how it is doing this thing. So this is nice. Let's see if I can talk a little bit about what it is lately doing all the the you're going to die things, being interviewed about you're going to die, sitting with cancer patients, doing the prison program, doing the grief workshops. I think there's something going on right now for me that just keeps pointing back to this moment. And I've touched on it a bit in this Creatively Conscious Mortality podcast, trying to articulate what it means to even just settle here right now and create this moment meaningfully. I'm alone, I'm just talking into a microphone. There's no, ch- there's no like guarantee that you're all gonna hear this. Uh, so then in a way I want to attend to it just being kind of special for me. And it's like what it feels like, say after my mom died or when we do experience loss that significant and grief that comes with it, the leveling of everything. And this, this thought dawned on me while I was swimming, where a lot of you're going to die stuff, <laughs> both personally and organizationally, pops into my head while I'm freestyling through the water. And it's this idea, I think, that when death occurs, it takes away the future. When my mom died, I lost everything that could be possible with her being alive and I think when that occurs, we are forced into the present moment. And the difficulty of that, I think, is that it's always kind of hard, at least for me, to be present, to be right here, right now. And on top of that, to feel the pain of grief, the pain I felt in losing my mother and What I'm thinking a lot lately about is that these things, these griefs, these losses, these deaths, our mortality, so much of our life is built on like getting to the next thing, the meaningful thing, the success, the goal, waiting for relief, satisfaction to get away from maybe discomfort but also like getting to something that we care a lot about, even if it's like a person. And when we lose something that is a thing we're waiting for or that means so much to us, it levels and devastates everything but the moment that you actually have. But I'm feeling this, I'm feeling the reminder of that that's just always true. Like that's always, the only thing we have is right now here. And I wanna be, this is so risky to talk about because I feel like you're gonna be like, yeah, I heard it before from someone else who wrote about it better or said it better than you are. But I'm just wanting to articulate that I'm feeling really present to that. We never even had all the things to come. We don't have the relationships They're not ours, the people, the things we care about, the careers. None of that stuff is ours because ultimately it will all be taken away. And usually, I think in day-to-day life, mostly we're just kind of bought into the idea that we're just going to have these things. They're ours. And so we got to get to them and satisfy ourselves and find more of it. But it's just a lie. The only thing we have is right here and we're just constantly having to deal with then like the difficulty of here, it comes with all the like ways I'm uncomfortable with myself, the ways I'm physically uncomfortable, the ways I'm, 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 I'm really don't want to be in this moment because I don't want to be with me completely, And so then coupling the mortality and the grief and the loss, like having to face all that also with this kind of, and I'm talking about what I'm doing, what I'm feeling, which is the like, uh, how do I like love myself and create the moments when I'm alone, like preciously, like it is the only thing I have. And and if I'm alone, like, why is that enough? How is that enough? How do I remember that? And so I come into this podcast again out of a couple weeks, four weeks really, but especially the last week or so of thinking a lot about that and then getting here and knowing the invitation is like now to be wholly here, wonderfully present to this thing, the only thing we have all the way until that itself is gone. Assuming, not assuming, not knowing what happens after we die, but knowing all the way up until then, we still have this aliveness here that's possible. And and I'm, I'm talking to myself as much as any of you, but maybe it's worth something hearing me talk to myself about this. And I wanted to kind of get it out and start there with this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast. And, and then feeling grateful, you know, like all these things I get to do that keep pointing back to the present moment, like the grief workshops do it, the grief space we hold with the prison program does it to me, the sitting with the cancer patient does it to me. And and I think we can find these things in our life. And I think actually part of that is the like chance to listen, like we don't have to become a doctor and be, you know, taking care of people with palliative care or be a hospice nurse or or a social worker, it's like we have the option to go and seek out the edge and it's there. And it's just really trusting who, who can we show up for? What can we say honestly that we're, we're holding like the grief we're holding find the place to take it and have it witnessed by others. And so then like be at that edge, be at that thing that presences us, go to the person in your life who has suffered great loss and sit with them, be with them. And so then like get the medicine by showing up with them, the medicine of the moment. What all the things we live through, like remind us and teach us these losses, these griefs. All right. I'm like preachy doodle dandelion, Preachy doodle dandy Uh, I'm just feeling it right now. I want to just capture it so I can listen to it later when I need to remember that. Okay. That's just like a dump because I didn't get to do the podcast for a month. Now, Oh, it's such a sweet conversation we have for you today. So let me start here. Have you seen Midnight Gospel yet? <laughs> this is truly how I got introduced to the guest on the show today. I found out that they wrote a song for Midnight Gospel. This is the show, I guess. Do we all have one? Something that like a Netflix streaming a movie, a TV series that saved us during the pandemic somehow. The Midnight Gospel is mine. Definitely like high on the list of things I binge watched because it was the only thing that made sense going through what we've gone through the last year and a half, two years with the pandemic. Um, Check it out. It's on Netflix, animated. It's like um, Duncan Trussell's uh, podcast and interviews from that, audio from that. Put to sort of like a weird abstract bizarro storyline animated and the interviews from the podcast as dialogue and content in the show but today's guest this episode's guest did a song for that show and so then i was already in love with them and then it just kept coming music the amount of times i've listened to tracks from johanna Um, And then this conversation we got to share, which I just got to acknowledge, Nick is so long. We talked for two hours, I think, and somehow Nick was able to edit it down to the most precious bits in this 40 minutes we have for you today. What else can be said about that? I mean, you should go and like watch the the video of the song from Midnight Gospel, but like, no, 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 don't go. What am I talking about? Don't go anywhere. You're right here. Okay, but I just want to get to it. Um, Johanna is a singer, songwriter, and actor currently living in rural Wales. Their most recent album, Chaotic Good, is out now on Car Park Records, and they've released five albums of original songs and lent their voice to the Netflix series, I Told Ya, The Midnight Gospel. Um. There's so much more to say, and I was thinking, like, how else could I introduce Johanna? And then I'm listening to the edit of our interview, and it's all there. You get her through our conversation, and, or at least I hope you do. And, and I really hope it offers you a bit of what you need today while we're sitting in your ears. I guess a little bit of a setup here is we're just going to jump right into the middle of the conversation right out the gates. And this is Johanna talking about uh, a death, maybe really multiple deaths, an accident that she lived through. And you can go to her website and, and see a little more about... I don't know why I keep telling you to go somewhere else. No, 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 don't go anywhere else. This is her right out the gates talking about what that was, how that was, and how, I i mean, all, this is my words, but how it seems to have changed her life and led to a return to herself or some return to herself um, that she'd maybe lost since childhood. Um, and I guess in a way it does connect to what I, my introduction, this way that tragedy and grief and Devastating loss, like getting thrust to the edge of life, can remind us of what matters or give ourselves back to us. I don't know. Let's just see what you think as you listen to this episode of You're Going to Die, the podcast with Johanna Warren.
1: Um, The story really happens in a few different acts, but it started with my best friend and collaborator, Jonathan, who went by JP, but I met him in college and he really changed my life in so many ways. I was very young and very uh, meandering and unfocused and not sure what I wanted to do with my life. And he met me and he Mm -hmm. was kind of the first person that, saw what I was doing with music at a very early ridiculous stage, like playing these comedy songs at open mics. (laughs) But he saw something (laughs) in me and was like, you've got something there. You know, like I, I, he was, he said, I, I hear you write songs. I want to produce a record, but I don't write songs. So do you want to make an album together? And he sat Mm -hmm. with me in the basement of our dorm at college and made me play through every little snippet of ridiculous comedy song that i had ever written
0: and that's mo- <laughs> that's mostly what you had at that time was funny yeah. songs jokey yeah, songs yeah cuz i just yeah. i
1: was too intimidated to even try to take myself seriously mm. i like wanted to
0: mm-hmm.
2: wanted
1: to do something musical but it was all like let's sail away in the loch ness monster's vagina during the <laughs> <laughs>
3: uh is that what is that a real re- yeah
1: that actually happened <laughs> is that a
3: real reference
1: performed in like a rain jacket and rain boots and umbrellas with my friend
0: <laughs> yeah, yes yes
1: humble origins um but
0: <laughs> well it's so wonderful knowing it's like you have a sense of humor and that's real a part of how you're you're in the world but also i really get the like well i'm not i'm doing this like i'm compelled <laughs> to singing but i'm even talking about what you shared about what happened when you were little, that there's a way it's like, but I'm not going to be serious about it because I don't want anyone to think Mm. that I'm taking this seriously. And now I listen to your music. It's like,
1: Mm. you know,
0: oh my goodness. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. Humor, I think, can be a double-edged sword. It can either be an avenue to speak the deepest truths possible and sort of infiltrate Mm. and get away with that when no one else could, but it can also be an armor. Um, mm-hmm. that prevents us from being vulnerable with each other. So yeah, but anyway, yeah. so yeah, this guy JP, he sat me down and like made me play everything I'd ever written, and we made an album together. He played guitar with me. He was the most brilliant guitar player I've ever met, like a a true visionary. Just played like nobody else did in these really inventive ways, and used these little tools from pieces of scrap metal that he figured out how to use to make unusual sounds. And he was just such an uh, extraordinary person. And um, Mm. he got a brain tumor when he was 24 and Mm. was sick with cancer for about a year. And it was kind of a roller coaster. He would get better and then get worse and get better and get worse. And, we were all just kind of waiting to see what was going to happen. We had, we were like, we'd just been about to start recording our second album when he got that diagnosis. So we were all sort of in limbo and then he eventually passed away. And, and his funeral was so remarkable because my story that I just shared of like, you know, I wasn't sure what I was doing with my life. And then I met this guy and he put me on the path that I'm still on to this day. That Mm -hmm. was the story for like everyone that was there and no one, Uh, no one knew each other, but everyone knew JP. (laughs) And there was, he, he had the best parties. Like he lived in New York city and we would just have these incredible parties at his apartment. And it just felt like this big family reunion. But then you'd ask around, so how do you know everybody here? And they'd be like, I don't, I just know JP.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He just brought people together and Mm.
1: it, Every person that he met, he would hook up their life in some way. Like, oh, I see you're doing this Mm. thing. Maybe you should do this thing instead. Um, Mm. And his party, because he knew he was going to die, so he planned this big lavish party for his funeral on a, a boat off the coast of Manhattan with a 13 piece New Orleans jazz band and an open bar. Wow. and It was just like the most fun party, but everyone was crying and grieving and mm-hmm. just expressing so much gratitude for this remarkable individual that we all had the privilege of knowing. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: did he set this up before he died for everyone? Like he was gone when this party yeah, happened. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. He just he knew he was
0: wow.
1: not going to survive and wanted to curate an experience for everyone that he loved mm, to oh my go gosh. out in style. Um yeah, which is just so so him, like so his spirit. Like even in death yeah. he was like, "Let's have a really good time." <laughs>
0: Yeah. And like sending everybody off like you yeah. said like the influence he had on connecting people it seems like your version of it is like the bringing you into your music mm-hmm. in a new way and and how how even this party is this like celebration of that influence yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And still to this day, I'll meet people who just met him for one afternoon or something, but were forever changed by this person. Yeah. So I was, at the time, I was like 21 and a very cynical atheist. Um, Mm -hmm. And when my friend died, I was like, God damn it. Like, what is Mm. this life? Like, what why where is the justice Mm -hmm. like that why that guy of anyone that i know why if there is a god why would that guy get plucked off the face of the planet because he was the fucking best you know and why am i still here like why like even because the oh the injustice of it all like even before he died the first thing that happened to him was his right hand or sorry his left hand froze up like in a claw so he oh. couldn't play guitar
0: couldn't even play yeah, guitar. And yeah and that
1: like when that happened i just felt so much survivor's guilt just so much mm. confusion and just frustration about that i was like why do i have agency <laughs> of over both of my hands and my friend who's like the most brilliant guitar player on earth can't play his instrument. Like, I don't even practice. Mm. I don't even, I'm not even mm-hmm. good at guitar. Why? <laughs> yeah. Where's the justice? Mm. So, uh, when he died, I was really thrown for a loop. Like, I just, it, it sent me spiraling into just a deep suicidal depression, because mm. we had plans, too. Like, we were gonna, I was about to graduate from college, and we were gonna go on tour for the first time, and take over the world with our band. <laughs> so yeah. it really, it affected me on every level. Like he was just a close homie and then also my creative collaborator. Um, mm. So I was just flailing in his absence.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and then almost exactly a year after he died, I was driving home in upstate New York Um and was in a fatal car crash. And I think for out of respect for the other parties involved and the families, um, I don't want to go into too much detail, but what I can say is I was driving alone and completely sober, completely going at the speed limit, not distracted. And I think if any of those factors had been... Otherwise, my experience would have been very different. But as it was, Mm. I was 100% assured of my own guiltlessness. There was nothing Mm -hmm. I could have done differently. No time to react. And this was just an insane thing that happened. Mm. And someone died. And I had this unbelievable multidimensional experience spiritual experience that I could not deny if I tried because it was the most real thing that ever happened to me. Um, And Mm. a few few things happened in that moment of the collision. First of all, Mm -hmm. I felt the presence of my friend who had died a Mm. year prior just as this angelic bubble of white light around me and I just Mm. knew it was him beyond a shadow of a doubt I was like thank you brother like Mm. I just felt his love and it felt so undeniably him yeah and then I felt the the spirit of the person who died fly through my body and up into the sky and I saw it as Mm. like this blue phoenix just and it felt really good, actually, like it felt like I'm free, <laughs> like this bursting mm-hmm. forth of like from someone who had felt perhaps really trapped, and i I don't yeah the, uh, i feel um I feel comfortable sharing that i the the death was almost certainly a suicide. Um, Mm -hmm. the person who died like, almost certainly meant to be there. It was such an intense experience and of course, deeply traumatic on some levels, but then on other levels, I was so lost and so disconnected and fucked up before that that cataclysmic incident kind of fucked me up right. Like it it turned me on my head, but I was already upside down. So it it reconnected me to something that I think I had been out of touch with for my whole entire life. Um, And uh, if that had been an isolated incident, I feel like I probably being the like empirical evidence loving cynic that I am, I probably would have (laughs) talked myself out of it and convinced myself that I was just having a trauma response and like convincing myself Mm. of something to deal with the shock. But (laughs) there was immediately this outpouring of support from the universe in the form of psychics and strangers and family members like that I'd never talked to, um, coming to affirm and reaffirm and reaffirm my experience. Like, hey, you know, people coming up to me on the street saying... Um hey your friend is hanging around and has a message for you here let me write it down oh it's uh you are being gently guided on a path and everything that's happening to you is happening for oh. a reason and uh the person oh. who died says this was the right time for them to go and just like unbelievable specific oh and constant backup from <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
1: from spirit and um one of the the most life altering um ways that that manifested was in my family um at the the moment that i was in that car crash my mom happened to be at a very unusual family reunion with a, a certain branch of my matrilineal line that i was never close to growing up um had never really had a relationship with but my mom happened to be with these witchy ladies, cousins of mine.
2: Mm -hmm. And
1: Mm -hmm. um, when they heard that I had been in a car crash, they said, oh, we do these distance Reiki healing sessions every Tuesday. And Mm -hmm. that was a Monday, I guess. So they were like, we'll send Joe healing. And my mom told me Uh that. And I was like, whatever, (laughs) I don't know, (laughs) whatever that is.
0: cool <laughs> <Kooky> cousins <laughs> like whatever floats with it. like did you know them to, did you know them to be like witches or like did you know that part of who they were at that time uh,
1: well the way that I was brought up and the way that I saw the world at the time they were just like the crazy cousins that would send us yeah. books about angels on Christmas that we we would immediately discard <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Oh, my
1: gosh. However, um, at their Reiki circle, they channeled this information that was shockingly spot on. Like, I had not told anyone about my experience of what I just described to you about like the, the energetic mm-hmm. aspects of what had happened. And um, my cousin said, she basically just narrated my experience back to me. She was like, I was in your body driving down a dark highway at night. And then this collision happened. And then I felt this energy fly through me like a blue phoenix up into the sky and heard I'm free. Mm-hmm. Just like, like creepily verbatim my experience. Oh my gosh. And mm-hmm. and then um, the the Reiki master who was facilitating this circle said when i connected to your energy well she said first at first i couldn't connect with you 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 were far away and didn't trust me didn't want to open up but then a young male angel stepped forward and told me that if i wanted to get through to you i would have to sing and she was like i've been doing reiki for like 40 years and i've never had to sing so like what's up with this chicken music <laughs> <laughs> um, but then i started singing and you paid attention and opened up to me and she she got all these specific messages mm. from the guy that passed away that like this was a karmic contract and we like it, that i should not feel any responsibility because it, if it wasn't me, it would have been the person behind me, but it happened to me for a reason to put me on the path that I needed to be on. And then mm. so she thanked the young male angel and said, Is there anything else you want me to tell, Johanna? And he said, Yes, tell her my name is Jonathan. <laughs> <laughs> So I was like, okay, what the fuck is Reiki?
0: doing, I do mean that actually. Um, I know you can't reply. I mean, you could. I can't hear you, but you could email us. Email us at pod at yg2d.com and let us know how you're doing. Let us know how the listening's going. Pod at yg2d.com Send us your suggestions. Tell us what it's been like listening. What do you want more of? Who do you want to hear from? What do you want less of? (laughs) Um, Yeah, do that. That's a a nice way to be involved and let us know you're out there. It's it's like a version of supporting what we do. And you can also go to Apple Podcasts review option and give us a star. Share a couple words. Another way to support the podcast. We love when a new one pops through. The last one we got was just thank you. And that's it. A couple of words. Takes you a, a minute if you use Apple podcast, especially, but yeah, if you want to reach out and support us in other ways, email us at pod at YG2D.com. Now, I don't know if you know this yet, but we are, you're going to die is a 501 C3 nonprofit. So any contributions we get to support the programming that we have and the podcast are tax deductible. Now, that being said, we have, committed to not getting a sponsor for the last couple episodes and the next couple episodes and this episode so we do not have an official sponsor to announce but guess who can be a sponsor you can be the sponsor and that's what we're committed to growing during this month or so of episodes Go to patreon.com. Let Let's Just keep it simple. If you're like, yeah, I want to do that. Okay, cool. Do it. Patreon.com forward slash YG2D. You can go there and contribute as little as $1 a month or as much as $500 a month. Like, how is the podcast going for you? Is it offering anything? Is it worth $12 a year? Well, give it to us. Make this easier for us. And it is like I've said before. I'll say it here again. I'm going to keep doing this thing. You're going to die. I mean, I, it's like, I, I, I don't know what else to do. I do not know what else to do. But it sure is nice when it's easier. And your support makes it easier. Any of the reaching out, any of the reviews, all that stuff makes it easier because it reminds me, it reminds us like, oh, it matters. And I do need that reminder. I'm human, you know, I'm flawed. I do need that reminder, and we need your support. So if you want to help You're Going to Die, the podcast be easier for us to accomplish and put out into the world, please go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D or just click the link in the liner notes. We love you. Thinking a lot lately about how sometimes the dead affect more of us than when they were alive but i know for sure that there's people i know about and have been influenced by and inspired by and have moved me to tears and have had me laughing that only have done all those things because they are dead and the version of that for the context and purposes of this podcast episode is via my knowing of Jonathan. And this is Johanna's friend that she talked about already in this episode who died and played a significant role in her life and the trajectory. I get that like I need it from him through her. I asked her if she could share maybe some audio of conversation with Jonathan or some kind of video of him talking. And she just looked to see what there was and found lyrics to a song that he never completed, The Broken Machine. And so I asked her if we could bring Jonathan into this episode a little more. And Nick Jana, of course, did what he does per her simple direction, which is JP was very into dissonant free jazz and experimental Japanese noise music. And um, <laughs> so Nick uh, honored these words that Johanna read and sent to us for Jonathan
1: broken machine tapers turns and tumbles under other cogs and whistles functional reluctantly more often missing pieces intermingling with junk broken machine spare parts make whole schematics breathing like a wound barely feeding my fuel is leaking Click, click, clicking, push, resist, trudge, fade, fade, fading. Show a little effort, won't you please? System error, object or task is not registered and unlikely to resolve itself. My apologies, but your requests are going right over my head. System error, this place seems unfamiliar, this glaze becoming womb-like. to failure. Comfortable glitch. Click, click, clicking. Push, resist, trudge. Fade, fade, fading. Show a little effort, won't you please? Broken machine slipping in unnoticed. Obsolete is easy to forget. Wheeze little gadget. Let me see your valve.
0: I just read um I really love this. I just can I just read it to you real yeah. quick. I'm I'm hoping it's just right here, Rick. Really quick, accessible. Oh, um, I'm remembering what it is, and it's not. It, it's it's a John O'Donohue
1: quote. Mm, I love him.
0: So this is uh, in his book, "To Bless the Space Between Us." You know, it's mm-hmm. like his book of blessings. You deserve to hear me read this. To acknowledge and cross a new threshold is always a challenge. It demands courage and also a sense of trust in whatever is emerging. This becomes essential when a threshold opens suddenly in front of you, one for which you had no preparation. This could be illness, suffering, or loss. Because we are so engaged with the world, we usually forget how fragile life can be and how vulnerable we always are. It takes only a couple of seconds for a life to change irreversibly. Suddenly you stand on completely strange ground, and a new course of life has to be embraced, especially at such times we desperately need blessing and protection. You look back at the life you have lived up to a few hours before and it suddenly seems so far away. Think for a moment how across the world someone's life has just changed irrevocably, permanently, and not necessarily for the better. And everything that was once so steady, so reliable must now find a new way of unfolding. Though we know one another's names and recognize one another's faces, we never know what destiny shapes each life. The script of individual destiny is secret. It is hidden behind and beneath the sequence of happenings that is continually unfolding for us. Each life is a mystery that is never finally available to the mind's light or questions. That we are here is a huge affirmation somehow life needed us and wanted us to be. The sense and trust, this primeval acceptance can open a vast spring of trust within the heart. It can free us into a natural courage that casts out fear and opens up our lives to become voyages of discovery, creativity, and compassion. No threshold need be a threat, but rather an invitation and a promise. Whatever comes, the great sacrament of life will remain faithful to us, blessing us always with visible signs of invisible grace. We merely need to trust. Wow. Woo. I mean, that's what you're talking about.
1: <laughs> I
0: wish that was how I was talking about
1: it. Damn. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, it is, though. Uh, I mean, like, really, I know what you mean, right? Like, if I could write like him dang. and speak like him. But glorious that's that's how your storytelling mm. and what you're sharing right now is impacting mm. me like it does have that potency and like clarity to connect to the way he mm-hmm. puts it you know and sorry i'm glad oh, i got to read that thank to you strange 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 interview where i'm like doing readings throughout but i was like i got to i just have to read it i have to read it to you
1: that was perfect yeah mm. Yeah, and so, yeah, it's so relevant, that that part about, like, life needing us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so beautiful and so strange how we could ever convince ourselves otherwise. Like, we make ourselves oh strangers gosh. on an alien planet or something. <sighs> and that's how I felt and still sometimes feel, to be fair.
3: Mm, but sure.
1: But that sense of belonging and... Being needed by life. thats mm-hmm. I think it's very hard for us to do as humans sometimes because it's like, I think our story is like, we're just making such a huge mess of this. We are just mm-hmm. like fuck ups. And I think the sooner we can get over that, the better off we'll, we'll all be because it's hard to even want to make an effort if we hate ourselves and feel like mm. we shouldn't be here, you know? But mm-hmm. if you allow yeah. yourself to feel loved by life, then you it, it becomes easier to like be of service and show up in a good way. Yeah.
0: Mm. Mm. yeah, I I really appreciate that, and I also appreciate you acknowledging that it's just not always accessible mm. or available to remember. Um, you know, when we live in a a world that's that can be very like numbing mm. and and. Um, traumatizing Mm -hmm. and and the collective of we you know how we're just kind of the onslaught of what you just described we carry as a burden of ourselves like Mm. that we're ruining things and and destroying the planet Mm -hmm. and each other Mm. um and I guess my question then would be and I've been thinking this is like how do how how do you get back to Mm -hmm. that when you're when you're not feeling it You know, what are your practices for getting you there? And Mm -hmm. I mean, my inclination is like the work of your music and maybe this gets us back to the Reiki Mm -hmm. and the healing work that you do. But I'm just kind of curious, like what returns you there?
1: Sometimes I feel like I just need to thrash around until I wear myself out.
0: And have nothing <laughs> there is nothing more effective than just being fucking exhausted.
1: Yeah, yeah. I like what Ram Dass says about meditation. He's like, it's not going to work if you're just like making it into another guilt trip of like, oh, I should meditate. I should meditate. He's like, just go out there and keep suffering, and suffer until yeah. you're just too exhausted and can't suffer anymore, Seriously, and all you want to do is meditate. That's right. <laughs> That's kind of my That's right. approach. Is just like if I'm mm. if I'm on that trip and just need to like not do the things that I know make me feel good, I'll just do that until I can't mm. bear it anymore. And then yeah. <laughs> start <laughs> there's
0: something true about that. There's something reliable. Just like, gosh, this this activity. This is the thing. My wife's like you know, where there's years of talking about like the real job, and I'm not saying she said that, but just these <laughs> ideas of these career paths where it's like it'd just be easier—you just make money mm-hmm. and do Excel spreadsheets. And <laughs> it'd be great, you know, and and like not be so hard. But there's this feeling that I'm wondering if you relate to, which is the that that the be the thrashing about is the like being with figuring the song out, mm. not just the suffering and h- hardship of mm-hmm. like. Being your precious, fragile human mm-hmm. being that you are, but I mean also like the work you're compelled towards. That mm-hmm. it's it, it is like up against the edge. Mm-hmm. It is hard, and so that there is a way that the what Ram Dass says is the then thrash. You know, like go and push up against that edge. You will settle and meditate eventually, or mm-hmm. or lay down yeah. fully relaxed in your exhaustion. You know.
1: Yeah, I'm. Do you
0: relate to that? I
1: do. Yeah, and I think in creative practice flailing is so essential to making anything Mm. good because if you if you're not flailing then maybe you're not um pushing yourself outside of your comfort zones enough like Mm -hmm. you're probably Mm -hmm. playing it too safe if you're just never flailing in my opinion Mm -hmm. i think um yeah yeah like flailing is a good sign because it means you're trying new things or um asking deeper questions and there's always room to flail in new territories. And I think that's, yeah, a yeah. sign of growth. Hmm.
0: I just imagine you after this thing happening being like, all right, I'm gonna move in with my um witch cousins. <laughs> and so I do wanna know like what Go back to the question where you're like, so what about Reiki? Can we talk about that? Yeah. And what is that now in your life and that path, and and also a little bit of what I'm curious about that might connect to the music and some of the other ways you're in the world is the like bringing the blessings and gifts to others through this part of your life. Yeah. From what happened.
1: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, so I went as a direct result of being completely blown away by the transmissions that came through from that healing circle and the specificity of things that I had never told anyone but were suddenly being reflected back to me. um, I went down to rural Pennsylvania where this woman was teaching, um, operating out of this little church by donation, just teaching... Classes when there was enough interest, and um, she was phenomenal. Just such a mm. such a true sage, um, so chill and so kind and so generous, and so not in it for the money, which I think is um, unfortunately rampant in the new age spiritual world at large, but with Reiki specifically, you know, like people charge an arm and a leg for it. And I think it can become a bit like capitalistically um, degraded because it just becomes like another money-making scheme. But anyway, I digress. Mm -hmm. This woman was amazing and really um, psychically gifted and like a true carrier of this wisdom lineage and i feel very very fortunate to have come into contact with her and to have learned Mm. from her um and i felt like i I had gone to hogwarts like (laughs) walking away from that (laughs) from that first weekend class i was like holy shit we're magic yes we can do magic (laughs) Humans are magic. We can do magic with our hands. (laughs) Like, we can, uh, we like.
0: Oh my God, did you write that song?
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was so happy because I had always, Mm. I was such a magical child and was so obsessed with fantasy novels and like Mm -hmm. drawing pentagrams in the sandbox to invoke my unicorn lover and stuff. But you know, these things get (laughs) conditioned (laughs) out. Oh my
0: God. My daughter would be so happy to hear (laughs) this. She's going to love that line.
1: (laughs) (laughs) I was convinced and convinced my first grade class that I was an elf, that my parents were not my real parents. And when I hit puberty, my ears were going to grow pointy and my, my real elf (laughs) family was going to come back for me. Finally,
0: <laughs> um, yes. love And
1: it. ultimately that happened. I think that, that really, <laughs> yeah, that's what
0: happened. That is what you went through. I feel that like, oh, this, the time that still is possible for showing up and finding like kids do that it is magic, yes. that there is magic. And and I know we got to it through books. But I also think when you're a kid too, there's just the coming upon the crazy fucking thing mm. in the world mm-hmm. that you've never seen before. Like, I don't know, uh, even a unicorn, mm-hmm. like the idea of one. But I, my version of it is like, you know, doing mushrooms. Mm-hmm. And like, during that trip, the back end, going to the beach and never having heard of bioluminescence before coming upon it at the beach and being like, what is going on right now? An adult man who hadn't known about a thing (laughs) and feeling that return to what you are compelled towards. And like that, the Reiki and that work brought in or brought back to you, which is like, there is magic.
1: There is. Yeah. And I think, yeah, mushrooms for me too have been such potent teachers i mean bioluminescence are literally amazing whether you're tripping or not oh, but like the experience-
0: exactly you don't need mushrooms
1: <laughs> <laughs> but for me like the my first experience with mushrooms i remember just being mesmerized by a banana and like staring mm-hmm. at the fructose molecules in a banana and how sparkly they were and i was like this has mm-hmm. been here all along, right under my nose, and I just have forgotten how to see like this. And it's just like yeah. just changing the lens through which you're looking at life. And I think mm-hmm. we are just so conditioned to see things through a really boring, lame pair of goggles that's just all about fucking money. Like, it's all so mm-hmm. dull and fake, and, mm-hmm. and th- yeah, th- there there are ways, whether it's psychedelics or meditation or Reiki or whatever whatever you need to do to swap out those goggles to put on some sparkly, yeah, magic goggles again, there's plenty of magic mm-hmm. if you're looking for it. The world is made of magic. You know. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that was for me, that was like my big initiation back into the realm of magical thinking that was my happy place as a young child. I loved to interact with the world in that way, just singing to the plants and mm-hmm. talking to the bugs and <laughs> making yeah. potions out of berries. And that was my life. <laughs> and that's my life again. <laughs> like I came yeah. back. And, yeah. um Yeah, so, I mean, Reiki, you know, for for anyone who doesn't know what it is out there, maybe I should just give a little, like, brief spiel. So it's it's an energy healing modality um, from Japan. This Japanese monk channeled this information whilst meditating on a mountain. It's a synthesis of ancient energy medicine techniques from... Japan and China, Taoism, Shinto, but all kind of um, condensed into a modern system of symbols and techniques and practices that can be taught and shared in the modern world. Um, It can work at a distance, like space and time is no object because it's working Uh on um uh, like another dimension so you can mm-hmm. in in there are three levels generally that you're taught and attuned to so reiki 1 is like generally in person you can do it on yourself or someone else through channeling energy through your hands um but level 2 allows you to connect to an abstract situation, a past event, a future event, a person who might not be in their bodies anymore, um, someone on the other side of the world. So that, that to me has uh, opened up a whole other can of worms that really would generally, I think, fall into the category of mediumship for as far as most people Mm -hmm. are concerned, like, um, encountering spirits and receiving messages whilst healing, sending healing to someone, generally sending healing to someone who is in a body. But then I have had a lot of experiences of meeting loved ones and um, yeah, people who are no longer earth side. So,
0: you might be like, don't, That's not important. Don't ask that. So anytime I ask a question, like, you're you're wasting our time, just say (laughs) so. But I'm wondering if, uh, you know, do you feel like something occurred then that placed you energetically with the ability to do this work? Or do you think what happened led to you, like, honing these skills Mm. then? Or both, Maybe.
1: I think probably I, if I had to guess, I would say I came into the world knowing Mm -hmm. who I was and then had it conditioned out of me and became very sick and very sad and very imbalanced and highly medicated for like psychiatric stuff from a really young age. Like I got really depressed when I was. 13 which was about the time that I stopped believing in fairies. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> and life just yeah. got really sad. And I was like, I don't really know what I'm doing here anymore. You know, I don't know how to mm. do this middle school thing. I don't like it here. But I didn't have adults in my life who were able to just have a real conversation with me. They were just like, "Uh-oh, she's cutting herself. Let's put her on medication." You know, and then that mm-hmm. sent me spiraling because I was a young person with a developing brain and was put on stuff that then affected my development and then needed more medication down the line and was having side Mm -hmm. effects that needed more medication. So I was, by the time I was like 20, I was on different, like 10 different pharmaceuticals and had Mm -hmm. no idea who I was. And, um, Mm -hmm. and I think, you know, there's something in there that I feel some somewhat impassioned about, which is, I think in our society, um, psychic gifts tend to tick a lot of the psychiatric boxes that l- can look like schizophrenia or bipolar disorder. And I'm not saying that these things are not real and should not be uh, attended to with medical professionals. But for, sure. for me personally, in my experience, I think there was... Um, I was diagnosed as bipolar 2 when I was 20, and... Um, and I don't really identify with that at this point in my life. I think I it was I was a, a victim of circumstance in some ways, and just like not supported by a system that just fundamentally did not understand who I was. Um, mm-hmm. But I I think there are certain certain types of people that in past uh, societies like pre colonial worlds might have been. Seen as shamans, healers might have been yes. given a place of prominence in society to be like, Okay, you have an ability to see Hell things yes. that not everybody sees. You're hearing voices that That's we're not right. hearing, so lead us. Go off into the mm-hmm. forest, drink this hallucinogenic brew, come back and tell us what you found, <laughs> and we'll form totally. our whole culture around it. <laughs> you know? <laughs> totally,
2: totally.
1: <laughs> but that doesn't happen anymore. It's just like there's it's like, mm. oh, you're not you're not doing your homework. Here's some some meds, you know. Mm.
2: Um, yeah,
1: yeah. So it's again a delicate subject that it's hard to even talk about because everyone's everyone's experience is so different with these things. But right. But for me,
0: I feel you. You keeping the the way you've shared and. Sp- and put words to it feels like there's the the room for it. It's like the the version of a being in the world that I, anyway, yeah, I just want to say, I feel like you really spoke well to it. And, and most importantly, like explained your experience really, really succinctly. And thank you. Um, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah.
1: So I guess yeah. for me, I don't know where I would be now if I hadn't been reminded that there are options for, um, I don't know, like being a magically oriented adult and to be given, to give myself permission to have psychic experiences that I'm not afraid of, that I'm not telling myself are like something to be concerned about as psychiatric experiences. You know, like I can mm-hmm. go into visionary states very um, readily. And I think if I, hadn't had certain kinds of support or met certain people at the right times, I might have like institutionalized myself because it might've been really scary. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I'm really glad that I have found a framework to give myself permission to be like, okay, like somebody's grandma's mm-hmm. in the room and she's got something to say yes. and I'm not crazy, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, me too. I'm really glad (laughs) to. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I really mean that. It's like, it's like, uh, I need to know that. Mm. It's I've been feeling that through this conversation, but like with Jonathan, you know, a version of that. Um, Like, I need you to be this in the world. Like, we need you to be this so we can remember. Mm. You know?
2: Hmm.
0: Yeah, so thank you.
2: Thank you. The dead walk behind Space between the spaces, I'm drinking down a potion I decoded from the roses in my garden when my spirits told me they could feel my heart. of the universe, what difference does it really make after all? If we had another chance to do it right, I'd give it all I had, just like I did before when you left me with nothing at all, the darkness this has brought to with my tongue. now i see you're not a perfect prism just the perfect foil for my masochism tell me do i look different to you in light of our little cataclysm would you call god i call mr universe what difference does it really make after all if we had another chance to do it right i'd give it all i had just like i did before I did before when you left me with nothing at all
0: That was Rose Potion from Johanna Warren. She asked us to include that in the episode. And if you want more of Johanna's music and all the things she's up to, because it's a lot more than music, you can go to her website at johannawarren.com and we'll pop it in the liner notes for you. And you can also check out Johanna's Bandcamp page, johannawarren.bandcamp.com. Johanna has their own Patreon page, patreon.com, Johanna Warren, and we'll put all these links in the liner notes. Nick uh, Jana, hello, how are you? Hi. Nick Jana. I wanted to talk to you about something that connects to Johanna and the conversation we had um, in this episode, but it's bringing us back to the introduction. And it's this feeling I've been having lately about really the truth that we only have this moment. I even think like this moment, really we have it all the way until we die. Like even the dying are just, that's all they have is that and uh, right up until the edge. And so I kind of wanted to check in with you about that kind of theory
3: or feelings on it. Anything that comes up from you for you, I wonder if we're afraid of the moment because a lot of moments are actually criminalized um literally. I've been thinking about you know these eruptions of violence when when someone uh, shoots somebody or 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 does something transgressive um I know this is a weird way to put it, but those things happen when someone is living in the moment like to say like they're not thinking about the consequences of I might go to jail for the rest of my life, you know? I might regret this tomorrow when I'm (laughs) feeling differently, you know? Um, And there's never a discussion about what justice could be in this country or what the repercussions of those actions are in the moment. It's always talked about um, backgrounds and ideologies and, and circumstances rather than what is it like in a moment when someone is... Angry, or the, the the switch is flipped, or something like that. Um, I, I would love more of a discussion about those things because there are, you know, long-lasting consequences of penance that we give to people who um, do something terrible in a moment. Um, and I wonder if that creates this fear for us of what does it mean to be really indulged in anger in a moment, or to to kind of where you see red where where things get out of control or or you're buried in grief or depression or something that if there's this fear of bad things can happen when i'm fully immersed in that versus there's a way to just swim through those depths um i don't know it's just it's just a discussion that i you know all the national discussions that we have that are so um Factionalized and <laughs> angry about blaming. I, I, I wish we could have more discussions about what is that experience like when you can't handle the moment, and 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 how you deal with that, and why is always our punishment, uh, you know, a lifetime of sitting in a stone box. Uh, you know, I understand like someone who is harmful and separating them from society, but um i wonder if I wonder if there's just this fear of indulging our emotions and living in a moment and if we don't want to face that and if there there could be some discussion to be had there mm. um,
0: <laughs> wow, I mean, I just um absolutely don't know what to say about all that. Um, I don't, (laughs) I mean, I did, I did not expect you. I'm just like over here feeling emotional about how death gets us present into what we have, which is just here and now. And I hadn't thought uh, much beyond that, um, which is why I appreciate these, uh, these conversations at the end of, of the episode. I'm trying to, the thing I'm I'm feeling coming up for me is I guess maybe, and you know, correct me if I'm wrong or, or just say that doesn't connect to this. But but what I what I what emerges for me is the the practice of being with the hard stuff, like being with the hard broken bits. I mean, maybe not like murder with a gun, but like rage or anger or like deep grief that's devastating. And um I'm wondering about the significant negative emotions, negative emotions, wondering if they have uh a place and that if there's room for them. Does that is that kind of connect to what you're saying? I'm I'm honestly I'm kind of grasping at straws right now.
3: Yeah, absolutely. I mean I I, I think you're being flustered at this subject like we're all flustered about being able to just go there and think, um what What is it like to go through that and feel that? Like it's easier to say those are monsters, and we need to like push them out of our sight versus like there's a part of me that, you know, sometimes every day has at least a moment of being in your feelings, as they say, you know, like like where where I'm not at my best because I'm emotional, right there's There's this urge for from people in power and people with I don't know, structure around them to say, uh, that's a lesser form of being, like when you're overreacting, right? You're too sensitive, you're uh, whatever, snowflake. Um, but we all do it. We all do it. I'm not saying we all are going to murder somebody. I'm saying we all get overwhelmed by feelings. And I, I want to just be able to, I, I think the trouble of living in the moment is that thing of like, there are some really unpleasant moments and what do you do? Yeah. What do you do in those moments? Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, okay. Um
0: I just gave a talk, uh, recently was invited to, um, um, a session with studio B E studio B, uh, last week. And I had never talked about this before, but one of the big questions was like, where is this work with what you're going to die does and grief engagement and death and dying and mortal, mortally confronting parts of our existence, um, what is it how does it connect or respond to like these bigger issues maybe in our culture let's say like in the united states specifically and i don't know you know but i got into this conversation about war and and vietnam and and even the world war 1 and world war 2 and thinking about this country and how we handled all those times and events um what where that's left us how that has us been with trauma and violence um, and, and failure of the means with which we try to fight for freedom and democracy. And, you know, I was like trying to say, you know, this is something that I feel connects really strongly and we can keep going, you know, like the prison industrial complex. And I think things that you're sort of referencing or implying, you know, are greater issues, maybe even because we don't make enough room for these really hard emotions. And the story that I shared was uh, about my dad and, and cause that's my access point to that reality. You know, he did two tours in Vietnam and uh, the amount of grief I think that he experienced or didn't maybe should have. And, and maybe like him not being able to led to a real level, I think of rage and anger. Um, in his being in the world and in my family to the point that when I was at a really young age, I asked him, you know, what it was like, uh, what happened in Vietnam. And, and his response was anger at me, Mm. directed at me. And he told me stories that I won't get into now, but that brought me to tears, you know, but especially coupled with his, his rage. And so I wonder maybe where what you're speaking to intersects with that big question about the things that are wrong. And I don't love the word wrong, but I do think about like illness of a of a society, illness of a culture, illness of a, a country, a country's people. Um, thinking about the, the gun violence, you know, happening in the United States and the world, but that perhaps these are products of us not having the conversations that you're inclined towards, um, what you're speaking to here, so then not making enough room for some kind of healthy container or processing or catharsis of anger and in a way that we can like let anger be what it needs to be, not something that we repress. And so then it turns into the sickness. Yeah. And I
3: think the same for grief. Yeah. Yeah, and I think there's generally two kinds of people in this regard people who swallow the feelings and say i'm just going to end this in my body you know i'm not going to like lash out and there are people that lash out and both are unhealthy you know i'm i'm the kind of person who just swallows the anger and says i'm not going to lash out um that does damage too and i'm trying to figure ways to responsibly i don't know break a dish (laughs) yell into a pillow like like Things that I've, even that I've never allowed myself to like let that go out because otherwise it really does damage as much as I tell myself, I can handle it, I can handle it. Mm. It does damage. And the same with it it all, you know, progresses towards depression or exhaustion or sick or actual physical sickness when you're not Mm. letting that out. And I would love, yeah, I would love a society that just allowed for that discussion more. Mm. You're supposed Mm -hmm. to like go to this fucked up war across the ocean and see all this trauma and come back and have no place to process it like Mm. that's that's a that's a crime in itself you know but Mm -hmm. but we do that to so many people there's so much trauma just this last 18 months that we're not allowing so uh, you know you are more aware of that than than anyone and offer uh, more spaces for that expression than than most people uh, even know about so you know (laughs) You're on the right track, is what I'm saying hmm.
0: well, I don't you know, I don't know. I think there's this long game you know for me in hoping that decades of doing this, I could maybe finally say definitively that it's worthwhile or <laughs> it makes us healthier. Um, I think what I've been feeling lately is a little bit of the okay, there's something here that I am actually integrating out of this, which is that like. Actually, the opposite, maybe, of what you're describing. I think I grew up throwing a lot of tantrums and really expressing my anger mm. um, and really into my adulthood, too. And so then finding it, and this is, af, you know, about in reference to something you shared when we weren't recording, but just the kind of day where things are sort of combative or up against you and where that leaves us and how that has us feeling. I have inclinations from my life to really express it well and actually what connects to what I shared in the introduction of the episode and and what I'm bringing back into the end here is this pointing to the present moment and the here and now and that what I needed yesterday when I had a day like that was to stop you know and and know that if I kept pushing through with trying to get things right or fix things I was going to have one of those moments of upset where the upset is happening to me more than I'm letting myself express something healthily. Mm -hmm. And so I just took a moment, you know, like I've been doing really more than ever, which is to go and meditate for 10 minutes and just like look at it. And uh, it feels boring saying it out loud because it's just like, okay, meditation. (laughs) But for me... And the like kind of room I need for the feelings I have about my life and what's going on in my life in the world, I do need more stillness to just observe and not have the emotion like carry me away and become what I am rather actually have it be the thing I'm observing move through me, anger, grief, whatever it is, but have like presence of being with it and, um, wash it past like the river that it can be. Yeah until the next still water comes. Yeah. Um, but maybe not even for that. More for the t- tumultuous white water rapids. Mm-hmm. Like being able to be like, okay, fine. I'll go sit in my daughter's room on the floor <laughs> and like be with you, okay? Mm-hmm.
3: You know. Yeah. You deserve that. Yeah. Uh, imagine if we called meditation just stopping. <laughs> and imagine, <Yeah. laughs> you know, all these great problems that we have that we think are just insurmountable like how many actually could be solved by stopping? those moments of if you just stop and then sat down and <laughs> put down the weapon right now, like this wouldn't escalate. This wouldn't happen, you know? Um, I know that sounds like dreamer imagining, but I mean it's
0: well what if? Like where? <clears throat> like somewhere it would be different. You know? Yeah. Like it's not that it maybe wouldn't be the end all be all the gun violence, but just like what would it be? And it is that it's like the salve of returning to the grief workshops and this podcast and and like going into the hospitals, like you say, like doing the right thing or on the right track. I don't know, but you know it's just letting go to the attachment, I guess of it actually being the definitive answer to all things, but knowing that it is an answer that there's something there waiting for us, some kind of medicine,
3: yeah, some kind of healing, and as much as I you know very left liberal would love <laughs> uh, the strictest gun laws in the world, I don't think that would solve all of it either, you know? Yeah, you're um, right. Versus like we could be sitting on a pile of guns and be so at peace with our emotions and not be using them, you know? like, like, And I feel like we sometimes get sucked into this idea that our answers are going to come legislatively or the, or the most charismatic politician on our side who will change it versus like all of us stopping and calming down and breathing, you know? Yeah. Well, thanks, Nick. Thanks for your being in the world
0: and your thoughtfulness.
3: Oh, oh,
0: thanks for all your hard work on this episode. It's good to be back at it with you. Yeah, you too. And thanks to all you listeners out there. So grateful for all of you. And as I mentioned earlier in the episode, if you want to support the podcast happening in the world, go to patreon.com forward slash YG2D and become a patron today. And also email us, reach out. We're here. We want to hear from you. Um, and if you listen to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, pop a review in there, hit a star for us. Even, even a one star would be fine. We want to know all the things. Um, But if you're really feeling it, put some words in there. Leave us a worded review. Uh, But I think that's it. I think that's all I got. I got nothing else in this app. You got anything, Nick?
3: Um, If you like the instrumental music in uh, these episodes, I have an instrumental album of music. Me, Nick, Jaina. I did a soundtrack for a film called All Sorts, and it's available on all the streaming sites, uh, including the song you heard in the middle of the show called Crystallizing Everything.
0: Awesome. Thanks, Nick. Yeah. Thanks, everybody. We love you. Until next time, Bye.